0: Welcome to Alumni Voices, podcast from the University of Oxford. I'm Guy Colander and every month I speak to a former Oxford student about their memories of their university days, the impact of their studies and their career. This month we are exploring numbers from an unusual angle with our very own self-styled naked mathematician, also known as Dr Tom Crawford. We'll be talking about his new Naked Maths video series for teenagers and about his undergraduate days studying maths at Oxford. In a first for Alumni Voices, we are also recording this interview in Cambridge. As well as its university, the other place is famous for its mathematicians, particularly Isaac Newton and Alan Turing. So where better to talk about maths? Our interviewee studied his PhD in maths at Cambridge and is now based here. Tom, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me Guy. Firstly, can you tell us about the upcoming launch of Naked
1: Maths? Absolutely. This is a video series which is basically going to show that maths is fun because it has this pretty bad stereotype that mathematicians are all sort of a little bit quiet and sort of go about and quite isolated, not really that social and maths in general has a bad reputation at schools as it's not applicable and it's boring and people tend to go off it and the idea of Naked Maths is I'm going to go out and just do really fun things and you know, that involve maths, sort of bring it to life, make it entertaining, make it accessible, make it fun, make people really want to study maths and that's sort of why we're aiming at the teenagers because this is the age group where people think, oh maths, that's that's not really for me, I'm not really into this anymore and I'm hopefully going to show them that no maths is really applicable, it's everywhere in the real world, there's all kinds of fun things we can do with it and hopefully that'll come across in the videos. And what mathematical problems are you solving in the videos? I have free reign to take any mathematical idea that I think is interesting or that I think people would want to know more about. I've done an episode looking at how waves form on the ocean and you can basically break it down to if the wind blows fast enough, you get waves on the ocean. But instead of just talking about that and showing the equation, I thought, right, well, I'm talking about waves, so I'm going to go surfing. But I know it is surfing. Wow. So I went to an indoor Surf place. Put my wetsuit on. Like, got on the surfboard and attempted to stand up. Fell flat on my face. Um, it's all it's all recorded. I was wearing a, a GoPro camera on my head as I fell. Like, I went face first. So it just it looks pretty dramatic. This is just maths. It's this really simple equation. The wind blows fast enough, you get waves. So so without people realizing, they're sort of being entertained and learning a little bit. Um, another one I've done is talking about bees. So bees. Um, are often referred to as nature's mathematicians. We, we looked inside the hive, we, we pulled out the sort of little slats or like wooden slits that they have in there and mm. saw just these absolutely perfect hexagons that the bees had mm. made. The reason they do this is because as a bee, you're trying to maximize the amount of space you have to store your honey. So you need some kind of shape which has like a maximum amount of area, but they build it out of wax. So they want to minimise the amount of wax they use, so minimise the perimeter of the shape whilst maximising the area. And that is just, it's a maths problem. Like, you know, you can, you can literally like break it down into, it's a very simple math problem, you've got to fill a, a, a 2D plane, so imagine a piece of paper, you have to fill it with the same shape everywhere, such that there's, you don't want any gaps between the shapes, because that's wasted space, and you want the maximum amount of area for the minimum perimeter, the minimum amount of wax. And you can, you can fill, it turns out um, a Roman mathematician actually looked at this. You can fill the, the piece of paper, your 2D plane, with squares, triangles and hexagons. And the one with the largest area is the hexagon. The bees are basically doing this calculation, or they've known about this, I guess, forever. Like, they've evolved to, to learn this, and they're just doing this sort of simple maths problem.
0: So you're looking at theory, but you're looking at practice as well, and, and very visual demonstrations
1: of this. Yes, exactly. I mean, and then hopefully I'm going to show them that, no, you look, maths is everywhere. You know, sort of get that, that, inspire them, I suppose, to then carry on with their study and hopefully then go and look at things like the Riemann hypothesis, sort of these more advanced problems. But I'm sort of trying to do it as like a short, sharp entertainment videos, with just a little bit of a maths angle. Something I did um, last month, which was really popular, in fact, was um, the recent... um, Attempt to try and break the sub two hour marathon barrier. The athletes unfortunately actually failed by 25 seconds, but still beat the world record by two and a half minutes, which is just insane. I thought, right, how can I take some running and trying to break this, this world record, this two hour barrier, and turn it into like maths? And I just sort of broke it down into like the segments. So, you know, I compared it to Roger Bannister's four minute mile. Obviously, he was one of our previous interviewees as well. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like over the course of the, to do a two hour marathon, you need to run each mile 15% slower than Roger Bannister. But of course you're doing 26 of them in a row with no breaks, with no stop. Or you can think of it in terms of 100 meter segments. You need to run the 100 meters 422 times, I think it is. Each time, 17 seconds. But to do it 422 times in a row with no breaks is sort of what a two hour marathon would require. Broke it down and sort of looked at the math of it. You know, just, just, that was sort of how I tried to, to bring that into it and sort of to bring it, bring it to life. So can you tell us about the, the naked theme for this series? The, the original idea behind Naked Maths is I'm, it's part of the Naked Scientists um, sort of group. So I, I work for the Naked Scientists and we're based at um, the University of Cambridge and we make a weekly radio programme for the BBC and then it goes out as a podcast and also um, goes out on ABC Australia. So radio, um, national radio in Australia. This is all audio. And basically when I came in and started working with the Naked Scientists, I, I sort of said, right, I want to do naked maths, but I think to really bring maths to life, you need that visual element. So it sort of lent itself well to the video series. So this will be the, the sort of eco scientist first branching out into video. So it's exciting. Uh, maybe a little bit of pressure to be the first. The first uh, because the radio show is is really really successful um, and reaching a listenership of nearly a million. Nearly a million weekly. Channels. Yeah, yeah. E- each program we sort of. Um, yeah, because, because we it goes on iPlayer. We get the high number of listeners through iPlayer and you know it goes out on Radio 5 Live, ABC Australia, download our podcast, it's all free. Um, so, you know, we, we really do. There are, there's a big appetite for science out there and I'm sort of hoping to tap into that and sort of steer them towards maths, which is because my favourite subject, my area. Naked Maths, the name, comes from the Naked Scientist. And the idea of the Naked Scientist is that we strip down science. So we're taking current breaking research sort of right on that the edge of actual research that's coming out this week in the major journals and then speak to the scientists break down what they're you know, strip back what they're talking about such that anybody can understand it that's sort of the I guess the meaning behind behind the, the, the naked um,
0: prefix you're certainly not what many people would regard as a typical mathematician as you've already alluded to on your website tomrocksmaths.com you refer to maths, but not as you know it. And you describe yourself as a lover of maths tattoos, and I see you're sporting some now. <laughs> I imagine you must have raised a few eyebrows on certain
1: occasions. Um, well, yes, but also I think in some ways people I've been you know, meeting and speaking to, they sort of find it refreshing. You know, the idea that, as you said, I'm not like a, like a typical... Mathematician. I mean it's again it's a bit cliche because I feel like it's sort of people say it to me a lot and other people have had it said to them it's just because we have this this stereotype of what a mathematician should be which is just wrong and that's what I'm trying to you know everyone who's doing this sort of maths popularising is trying to break down this stereotype the the, the tattoos in particular actually um, it's quite fun because I, I actually interviewed somebody recently and I have a, a tattoo on my on my leg of the platonic solids which are five um, shapes which are seen as the most beautiful and most symmetrical in the maths world and and this guy actually spotted this as soon as i walked into the room like ready to record the interview he was like oh photonic solids and like it was just like a really nice talking point and then we had a nice chat about it and I think we just became instant friends oh, fantastic, So recognition. And we'll, an put, we'll put
0: pictures of the tattoos on Twitter as well, so this listeners is. can see <laughs> uh, on, on the Facebook um, page as well. And you have a, a series
1: of numbers on your right arm as well. Could you yes. uh, explain that briefly for um, us as well? so, Yes, this is the first hundred digits of the number e. So e is one of the mathematical constants. Um, so you can think of it, it's very, very similar to pi, in the sense that it goes on forever. So. We now know pi to 10 trillion decimal places, which is a ridiculous amount of accuracy, but you know, this will just go up and up and up because it goes on forever. Um, It's a transcendental number, as you would say. And E is a similar um, transcendental number. And like pi is to do with circles, E is to do with growth rates. You can think of it in terms of interest rates and um, sort of growth of your savings in some sense.
0: What did you gain from studying maths as an undergraduate at St John's College
1: in Oxford? Studying maths at Oxford is really when I really began to understand the subject in some sense. So I think throughout school I always knew that I wanted to study maths at university. Like a year and a half, maybe two years in, um, that was when I decided I want to keep doing this and I want to do a PhD. So, So I knew that, I think, relatively quickly.
0: Aside from maths at Oxford, what else kept you busy during your student days?
1: I played a lot of football and in our first year we actually managed to go the entire season unbeaten. We won the fourth division and also won coppers. Oh fantastic. Uh, yeah and this is like the, the first time I think St John's had won coppers in 35 years or something which for such a big college is quite, <laughs> quite remarkable really. <laughs> and so after Oxford you studied your PhD in maths
0: at Cambridge. So what insights have you gained from studying maths at such a high level? Um,
1: the, main, the main thing I think I sort of learned from doing the PhD and, and sort of doing research was almost like a new level of creative thinking. So if, if you look throughout history, um, most of the major mathematical discoveries sort of came from thinking outside the box. I, Isaac Newton is, is a great example. Just at the time, sort of he was the first mathematician and, of course, physicist, but mathematician mainly, I think, to sort of realise that the world can be written down and is governed by physical laws that can be written as equations. So you've got his, like, law of gravity, for example. So I was just doing experiments, uh, so there's actually a, um, a really large fluids lab here at the maths department in Cambridge, sort of underground. It, it look, basically looks like a... A secret layer of a supervillain, to be honest, because it's all underground and some various layers and some kinds of crazy machinery, and like it's it's really cool. So, I was doing experiments, and what I was trying to, to sort of figure out the big question was where does river water go when it enters the ocean? You have a river, you know, you've got water flowing down the river, it hits the ocean, but where does that fresh water in the river actually go? Does it just sort of enter the ocean and spread out? Is it mixed up by all the tides? So, you get the fresh water and the salt water mixing together. Does it flow along the coast you know sort of trying to understand more about what happens there with things such as tides and weather and the fact that the earth rotates is really really big and sort of driving where this water will go so i was just doing experiments trying to recreate this in the lab so i had like a big basically a giant fish tank filled with salt water it rotated on some giant turntable and then i sort of had a river fresh water flowing into it which i dyed red with food coloring and you know, I could follow it and measure various things and then I got all this data and then I had to try and like, model it mathematically. There had been some previous works my supervisor, um, Paul Linden, had worked on in the past. Sort of where I had to be creative and sort of be innovative, as I was saying about, like, for example, like Newton and those other mathematicians was, I was trying to sort of take their work and then think about it in a different way. So it was a case of, you know, look at all the assumptions, all the simplifications they've made in in their models and say, Ooh, but what if, instead of doing that, what if I, I didn't make that assumption, or if I made this extra assumption? And sort of having to to come up with these ideas. I've got to ask, how would you compare your experiences at Oxford and Cambridge? I get asked this question a lot, uh, sort of having having now done, I guess, four years of each, the main way I think about it and the main way I, I would describe going from Oxford to Cambridge, is it just feels like i changed college. Academically, of course, they are very, very similar. You know, you still have the, the same structure with tutorials or supervisions, as we call them in Cambridge. Um, you know, you still have that, you still have the, the sort of history, you know, the, the same structure with all the incredibly incredible architecture and the city and everything. And what can we expect next? from the naked mathematician? An academic position, a media career, a bit of both? I think I'm sold on media now, you know? I think as I mentioned earlier, it's just so much fun being having, having the freedom to think, right, this is, this is something that I'm interested in and want to learn more about. I'm going to go and research this, find out who's an expert in this field, go chat to them, learn more about it, talk about it, explain it to people. And then, you know, the next day, let's do a different topic. I really enjoy that, that freedom and that variety. Great, well thank you very much and all the best with your media career. Thank you Guy. Dr Tom
0: Crawford, or should I say the naked mathematician, thank you very much for talking us through your mathematical life and good luck with your mission to popularise maths. For more episodes of Alumni Voices, please visit www.alumni.ox.ac.uk.